I wish that all of you could have been with us on Tuesday. On Tuesday. We, we meet about once a month as a teaching team. And we, we come together and we open our Bibles and we, we talk about what are the, the series that are coming up and what would God have us to say for each of these. Well, last Tuesday, we invited Mauricio Dell to join us. Mauricio is the director of Latino ministries for the Northwest Conference. And the reason we invited Mauricio to come is because not the series that comes next, but the series after that, we're going to be pressing into the extremely complicated and extremely controversial issues surrounding immigration and refugees. And so we said, Mauricio, can you come and can you tell us some first-hand things. And Mauricio brought some friends. He brought three of his friends, people who've been experiencing, who've been living this. And, oh, I wish you could have been there. They shared stories that we can't share with the little ones in here because they're that intense. This is very, very, very real. And so after sharing their heart and sharing their story and talking about these complicated issues and why they matter to those of us living right here, And what the scriptures say, after sharing all that, they did something that they shouldn't have had to do. They thanked us. They thanked us for listening to their stories. They thanked us for even talking about this as a congregation. Should they have to do that? You know, the same thing happened to us when last year, when we were getting ready to talk about human trafficking. And we had conversations with people who were on the front lines of that. When we got done listening to them and and they were sharing their stories and talking about what is happening right here and all around the world, they did something they shouldn't have had to do. They thanked us. They thanked us for listening to their stories. They thanked us for, for speaking up and about this as a congregation. Isn't that crazy? Isn't it crazy that they're thanking us for doing something that the Bible clearly presents as really, really, really important? These kind of conversations for for thanking us for doing things that disciples of Jesus are called to do. There is a temptation to play it safe. There's a temptation to play it safe. To stick with teaching that feels more relevant or that makes us feel better about our choices. There's a temptation to stay away from sections of the Bible that bring us to hard and messy places. Stay away from words that call for courage and call for conviction and call for personal sacrifice. Last week I shared a question that I was asked when we launched this church. And that question was, how is ECC going to be different than just another suburban church? Well, when we met with Mauricio and his friends last week, or yeah, this last week, we reminded that the temptation to play it safe is not just a temptation that we face here in the suburbs. In fact, he was sharing how in his country, uh, Mauricio immigrated here from Argentina. He talked about how in Argentina, Bolivian immigrants are treated and talked about a lot like immigrants from Mexico are talked about here and treated in the U.S. And then one of Mauricio's guests, he was from Nicaragua. Nicaragua is the second poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere. So who do they pick on? They pick on the first poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere. And if you're an immigrant from Haiti who comes to Nicaragua, you're a second-class person. Mauricio's friend, the one I was just referring to, he had to flee from his home in Nicaragua because he didn't play it safe. 
and he was caring for him and him and his 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 organization. They were caring for people who had been abused by a government that's abusing folks and feeding people who the government is not wanting to get food. And and so I, I can't share the details. You can talk to me after the service, but but he was threatened with execution. He had to flee the country because he wasn't playing it safe. Playing it safe isn't just something we're tempted to do here in the suburbs. Playing it safe is something that people everywhere are tempted to do. Isn't that true? Everywhere. And not just in our age, but throughout time. Throughout time. They're tempted to play it safe even when playing it safe means slavery. Well, our church is growing in more ways than one. Our Sunday attendance is trending towards capacity. We shouldn't technically have this many people here on Labor Day, right? Well, as we're doing that, as, as we're, we're trending towards capacity, as our vision is expanding beyond conventional thinking, we're asking important questions about where we're headed and how we're going to get there together. And we don't want to just play it safe. We don't want to just play it safe. We want to be a church that's the kind of church that God's called us to be. And we're thankful for precedents in the Bible that we can learn from. As we come to these crossroads. Two weeks ago, we looked at a passage from the book of Genesis. And we saw that God called Abraham to leave behind a life that felt comfortable and secure. And to follow him to a place he'd never been. Last week, we looked at a passage from the book of Exodus. And we took a closer look at Moses' response when God called him to one of those follow me moments. And called him to lead Abraham's descendants out of slavery into Egypt. Well, this week... We're going to look at what happened when God led his people right to the border of the promised land and how they responded when it was time now. Let's do it. Let's step forward in faith. That's what we're going to look at today. So if you have your Bibles with you, let's turn to the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers, chapter 13, 1 through 2. That is one of the most misleading titles in the Bible, the book of Numbers. Yep, there's a census at the beginning. Yes, there's a, sentence, a census at the end. They're both there for strategic reasons. And in the middle, there is so much content that when you see a book like called Numbers, you're like, ah, why would I read that? Here's, here's a portion of what's in there. Numbers chapter 13, verses 1 through 2. I want to let you know, too, that um, we've got a stack of Bibles here each and every week, and they're there for you. If you don't have a Bible, please bring one home. It's a gift from us to you. All right, here we go. Uh, Numbers 13, verses 1 through 2. The Lord spoke to Moses. It's right there on the border of the promised land. This land had been promised for hundred years. He, he spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out in the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, everyone a what? A chief. So send your top people from all these. Send your leaders. All right, let's talk about this section that we just read. After proving his power and faithfulness time and time again, God said, we are here. We are on the border of the promised land. The land that I promised you. We're right here. Now, send your leaders from every one of your tribes. Go check it out. Let's jump ahead to verse 25. At the end of 40 days... Of scoping out the land, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron, these leaders, to all the congregation, the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to the congregation. They showed them the fruit of the land. And they told the people, we came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. This is its fruit. This is a mission accomplished moment. Depending on the source, the leaders that each tribe sent out, they covered within those 40 days on foot between 220 and 350 miles. 
depending on which source you look at, in just 40 days. They confirmed what God said at the, to Moses at the burning bush. This was indeed a land flowing with milk and honey. They even brought back samples. Who likes free samples? They even brought back samples. But they brought back more than samples. They brought back more than samples. After saying this land is absolutely amazing, just like God promised, they said this, picking up at verse 28, however, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, they dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. In other words, this promised land looks amazing, but it's guarded by giants who live in forts. And it was fascinating this week to dig into this passage and to see how archaeology confirmed what they said. They've excavated that area for decades And there's physical evidence that backs up these claims. Excavations in this region have uncovered fortified cities dating back to 2000 BC, which puts it way before this. And some of these cities had massive defensive walls, 24 feet thick. And if that's not enough, this one was really interesting. There's an ancient Egyptian letter that has been discovered that describes fierce warriors in Canaan that were between seven and nine feet tall. That's what the Egyptians said. Can you see why they're afraid? Coming back. Let's continue with our text. Verse 30. But Caleb, the leader from the tribe of Judah, quieted the people before Moses and said, Let's go. Let's go at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone with him said, No, no, no. We are not. We are not able to go up against these people. They're stronger than we are. I love Caleb. Caleb is, we got this. And 10 of the other 12 are, we don't got this at all. The people wanted to play it safe, even though safety meant slavery. You'll see this for yourself in about 60 seconds. The people who are going, the people are going to say, let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to Egypt. Let's live in slavery instead of stepping out in faith. Please write this down. We have a, an insert here with, where you can take notes. I, I encourage you to do this. How, how do we pursue a promised land vision in a settle for Egypt world? How do we do that? Because we live in a settle for Egypt world where people are tempted to play it safe. In every generation, in every nation, there is a temptation to settle for safe. And sometimes, for the record, sometimes what appears safe is safe. I'm not saying be foolish. I'm not saying be reckless. Jumping out of a parachute appears to be a safe choice. Is it a good choice? Yes. No. It's not. Let me say that the correct way. Jumping out of a plane with a parachute appears to be the safe choice. Is it a safe choice? Yes. Don't jump out of a plane without a parachute, right? But there's some times where safe, what appears safe, is something other than safe. It's something other than safe. There's a place to write this in your notes. There's different ways you can approach the future, and one of them is to shrink back in fear. 
to look at the future and go, there is no way, and to shrink back in fear. Let's turn now to Numbers 14, 1 through 4. Here's what happened when 10 of the 12 leaders said, we don't have a chance. We don't have a chance. Then all the congregation, after hearing this, raised a loud cry. And the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Wouldn't, would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Well, how quickly do they forget? Because when they were in Egypt, what did they do? They cried out to God. And he said, deliver us, save us. And God heard those cries. And God sent them a leader. And God led them out of slavery. And now they want to appoint a new leader who's going to lead them right back to Egypt. Let's continue reading. Verses 5 through 9. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation and the people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephone, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. They tore their clothes. And they said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this land which we pass through to spy it out, it is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not, do not, do not rebel against the Lord. And do not fear, do not fear, do not fear the people of this land. They're bred for us. Their protection is removed from them. The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Joshua and Caleb reminded the people God was with them. The same God who delivered them from Pharaoh by performing mighty wonders. Well, after hearing that stirring speech, here's how the people responded. Congregation said, stone them. Just stone them. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people despise me? How long will they not believe in me in spite of the signs I've done for them? You know, when I was first really trying to own this faith that my parents had, had owned for me, one of my big questions is, God, why don't you validate yourself through miracles more often? Why don't you just prove that you're there? How many miracles have these folks seen? Lots, And can you be more demonstrative in your miraculousness than God was with them? My experience with the miraculous is that it doesn't impact us as long as we think it does, you know? In fact, we see here that the people are calling for Moses and Caleb to be stoned. Does anyone see irony there? Stoning is what you do to people who rebel against God. Who was rebelling against God? The people who are saying stone, those who are trying to walk in faith. Sometimes walking by faith, it makes you a target, doesn't it? And that's one of the reasons people shrink back in fear. Because sometimes walking in authentic faith makes you a target. When we met with Mauricio on Tuesday, he used this great analogy. And that's why I've got my friends here with me today. This is Bob. This is his friend Bob. And that's their friend Bob. 
they uh, make appearances every once in a while up at snow camp. And they come in here every once in a while too. When we met with Mauricio, Mauricio said this. He said, as Christians, sometimes we're placed in this role, not all the time. Sometimes we're placed in this role where we got to be the referee. He said, in an issue like immigration, what do people do? They want us to pick a side. Whose side are you on? And Mauricio's like, that's not where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be anchored to the word. We're not on your side. We're not on your side. We're trying to follow Jesus. We're trying to remain true to the scriptures. And that makes us about as popular as a ref. Mauricio said, yeah, when it comes to these issues, people want us to be on their team. You know what? That would be easier because at least half of the people then are with you. When you're trying to authentically follow Jesus, there's going to be times you're going to take that fire from both sides. From both sides. You know, there's other times in addition to picking sides where people will say things like, Hey, ref! Hey, ref! I want to kick that guy in the face. Can I do that? And the ref says, No! There's no face kicking in football, right? The refs sometimes have to tell us we can't do the things that we want to do. There's other times when people say things like, You know, ref, I really don't like that rule about pass interference. So if you could just not call me on that rule... The other rules are fine, but that rule shouldn't apply to me. The ref has to say, no, it doesn't work that way. You can't pick and choose which of these rules you're going to adhere to. There's other times when people say things like this. They say, you know what, ref? There's different ways to define the word football. And the way I define the word football is the way most of the world defines the word football. And that is soccer. So I'm going to play on this field where you're playing football but I'm going to play by soccer rules. And don't you dare judge me. And the ref is just scratching their head because they're judging us on what they consider to be judgmental when what we're trying to do is to be consistent in the face of their inconsistency. Anyone ever experienced that before? Now, no, 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 no. Be careful that you don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying... That following Jesus means we're out there looking for rule violations. That is one of the worst things you can do is just be out there like, oh, who's breaking the rules? Tweet, tweet, tweet. That's not what I'm saying at all. We have other important roles to play. We're like the medic who cares for those who get hurt. We're like the coach who wants to see people thrive. We're like the close friends and family and we are in the stands and we're cheering people on. You know, we have a lot of different roles we're going to play. But boy, if you take a stand for many of the things that the Bible teaches, it's going to make you a target. There's no way around that. And while it's tempting to just keep the flag in the pocket, it's tempting to just never blow the whistle. There's times where that's what we're called to do. Here's another thing that people do. In addition to shrinking back in fear, sometimes that's not the thing. Sometimes people go forward, but they do this. There's a place right this, you know, sometimes we stumble along when it comes to the future. We stumble along in foolishness. There's times we shrink back in fear. There's other times, okay, we're going forward, but the way we're going forward, it's foolish. When we left off in our text, the people were about to stone the leaders who were trying to save them from the consequences of their own rebellion. Foolishness can take that form where we turn on those and we attack one another instead of seeking God together. It can also take the form that if we had time to keep reading, we'd see as we keep reading. A few verses later, God says, all right, all right. 
you refuse to enter the land, you're not going to enter the land. You were afraid of dying in the wilderness? Guess what? Every one of you over the age of 20 is going to die in the wilderness. Except for Caleb. Except for Joshua. And then, what do you think the people did when they heard that? <laughs> the people, I'm not making this up. Numbers 14. The people said, okay, we got to go into the land. Against now, God saying, no, you're not going to the land. They go in the land. They arm themselves. They charge into the land. And how well do you think that went? About as well as Iceland invading Texas. That's how well that went. It was horrible. A complete defeat. One of the biggest mistakes a person can make is to confuse faith and foolishness. There is a big difference. We talk about this from time to time in here. There's a big difference between walking in faith and making a foolish decision and say, God bless me because I'm going this way. God bless me without ever consulting, without ever stopping to reflect, without ever inquiring of the Lord, should I be going this way? We just go and we ask God to bless it. Well, there's a better way than fear. There's a better way than foolishness. Here it is. We can face our future by stepping forward in authentic faith. In stepping forward in faith. That's what we've been called to do as a church. And oh, we invite you to join us. At the Global Leadership Summit this August, one of the speakers reminded us of this. If you want to go fast, go what? Alone, right? You want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go what? Go together. The challenge before us, it is greater than any I've seen in my lifetime. Just this morning, I saw an article in The Atlantic, and I want to come back to this thing and talk about it sometime. It's an article about how a college religion professor is watching. This is written by a college religion professor. And he says, I'm watching, and students are becoming less and less willing to even have a conversation about personal faith. They're like, I don't even want to talk about that. I'll talk about religion and why it's wrong. I'll talk about some of these kind of things. I don't want to talk about personal faith. I'm not going to put myself out there. That video we watched earlier about Alpha, there are people like, nope, I'm not asking those questions. <laughs> I'm not sticking my head up. I'm not sticking my hand up. I don't even want to talk about these things. And it's worth noting, this is at a university that was founded by Christians. And it's now led by this person who is serving as a professor. He's also the president. And he's a non-believer. So put all of those pieces together. Even if someone's willing to stick up their hand, and to put themselves out there and talk about personal faith, they're doing so in a, in a situation where it's being led by someone who's going, yep, that's great, but I don't believe. And I lead this institution. That's the horizon <laughs> that we're being called to step into. Man, if I were just straight up a business-minded person with no faith, the last place I'd want to work is in a church the last place I'd invent is that. If I could only see through human eyes. There's a place to write this in your notes. Emmanuel, we have got a calling to not just step forward. We've got a calling as a discipleship pace setter. That's what God's calling us to be. And we invite you to join us as we lead by example. The reason I'm leading with that is because it is so easy to sit back and go, oh, someone needs to do this, and someone needs to do this, and someone needs to do this, and there's a problem here. That's easy. It's like we say a lot of times. It's, it's like cow hunting, right? It's, it's easy. Actually seeking God 
and doing something that's making a difference, actually igniting transformation in lives, that's where the challenge is. And it's going to require us to seek God in prayer and anchor to his word like never before so that we're not simply coming up with plans and asking God to bless them, but we're truly following his lead. It's going to require us to develop and care for what I call Psalm 78, 72 leaders. Psalm 78, 72 says, and David shepherded them with integrity of heart and with skillful hands. He led them to develop leaders that have both character and skills. Nothing affects everything like leadership. And it is getting harder and harder and harder and harder to find Psalm 78, 72 leaders. So Emmanuel, we're committed to doing everything that we should be doing all along, that every church should be doing. And that's to raise up leaders like Caleb, like Joshua, who are committed to seeking God in prayer and anchoring to his word. Leaders who walk with integrity and are committed to continually getting better and better and better what we're called to do. This leading by example, it's also going to, it's going to require that we can define discipleship and that we can have markers that we can point to and say, this is what it looks like to actually be an authentic follower of Jesus. And here are resources and here are, are, are ways in which we can help you grow. Leading by example is going to mean let's bring together, bring together the best of the old and the new, the classic hymns and the new songs, the ancient symbols and modern imagery, creeds, prayers, blessings that are centuries old and new forms of expression that the Holy Spirit is inspiring in our day. Leading by example means we got to teach like Jesus taught. Sometimes starting with a scripture and unpacking it. Sometimes starting with an issue and providing insights into it. Sometimes using stories and object lessons and current events and other times raising questions that we don't answer. But we invite people to reflect on. Leading by example means we got to care for the whole family young and old, men and women, those who are just curious, those who are teaching seminary courses. Leading by example, it means that we must inspire, we must equip that next generation. With very few exceptions, what churches are doing today is not working. So what does the exceptional look like? And what would God have us to do? to join those ranks. I could go on and on and on and on. The bottom line is this. God is calling us to not just step up, but to step way up, to learn from those who are farther ahead and be a resource for those who are farther behind. That brings us to number two. Manuel is calling us to be the discipleship pace setter. That's going to mean leading through engagement, engagement, to not just be this little self-sustaining kingdom, but to engage. There are some things that the individuals do best, or some things that small groups do best, or some things that churches do best. And there's times when we're at our best when we partner together with other churches, other organizations. God led us to a denomination that was new to most of us. We're strengthening that partnership with other churches and camps and others in our denomination. God's opened up doors for us to serve on these influential boards, speak at events, lead worship. There's countless things, countless things that we're able to do together we can never do alone. And God's leading us to deeper relationship with organizations outside of the church and outside of the covenant with the community center, Emmanuel Children's Home, organizations like Trafficking Justice and a host of other great organizations. As we move forward in faith together as a church, that forward in faith means moving together with others. And here's another one that we'll talk about more in the months ahead. Facilitating effective ministry. The facility question, what do we do as we fill up here, 
That's one of the questions we'll be talking about together. How do we do that? And how do we make that conversation not about a building? How do we truly, authentically make that a conversation about how do we facilitate ministry? We may begin having those conversations as early as our town hall meeting next fall. What I want to do right now, what I want to do right now, is just thank God for leading us this far. Because these are real headwinds. The two churches, two covenant churches that started when we started in 2007, they don't exist anymore. The last two churches that met in this community center, they don't exist as congregations anymore. We're facing real headwinds. Here's just a really quick list of some of them. Social status is at odds with authentic faith. There's a growing gap between the rich and the poor. There's diverse and polarized beliefs about religion and morality. People are constantly jumping on the bandwagon of new thoughts and teaching. Celebrity voices are misleading the masses. Popular preachers are dividing the church. There's lots of confusion regarding marriage and divorce and what God-honoring worship services should look like. There's lots of confusion regarding what parts of the culture are okay, which are off limits. There's low levels of generosity. People are withholding tithes and offerings. Lack of understanding when it comes to faith fundamentals. There's arrogance leading to a lack of openness. There is shallow, thorny, and rocky soil. And it's easy to look at those lists and to shrink back in fear. It's easier to look at the, easy to look at those lists and, and to say things like, we better compromise with the culture if we're going to th- survive. But the church of today, I should say this, the church of Jesus Christ has faced stronger headwinds than the ones we're facing today. And when I created that list, what I did is I looked at the church that we looked at last Lent. And that was the church of Corinth in the first century. That was a list of some of the things that they faced. And yet... Paul was called to plant a church there. He wrote First and Second Corinthians to them. And in the face of things that were far stronger than we face, God blessed them. God blessed them. God promises when we follow him, he'll be with us. That was true for Abraham. It was true for Moses. It was true for the first disciples of Jesus. It's been true for us. So let's draw, let's draw from that strength of the precedence that we see in passages like this from Numbers 14, 8. If the Lord delights in us, he'll bring us into this land. Can I get an amen to that? If the Lord delights in us. So let's make ourselves delightable, more accurately. Let's allow God to make us more delightable. About once a month, we gather and we, we commemorate a sacrament called Holy Communion. We're going to give you an opportunity. We're not, no one has to do this. We'll give you an opportunity to engage with us today with this sacrament.